Our Father, uh, yeah, we do ask for your help uh, this morning as we dig into your word, that you'd give us the energy we need to hear your word uh, and to understand what it says. Uh, and Lord, we ask that as we understand what it says, we'd understand you better and we'd understand what you've done for us more. Amen. I haven't done a great job with setting up this mic, but sorry about that. Nah, I'll use this one, Sam. Thanks, though. Have, have you guys ever played a game that's just too hard? Um, I, I'm not a gamer. I don't really play any games. And it was probably because I had a scarring experience as a year six kid who had some friends who started getting into RuneScape, and I was like, man, I'm going to be a gamer. I'm going to get into RuneScape. But then I got to the tutorial part where you had to make bread, and I just couldn't bake bread. <laughs> and the game wouldn't let me get past that point. And so I gave it up. And since that moment, I've never been a gamer, never done any games. I just walked around aimlessly for ages trying to work out how to bake this bread, and I gave up. It, it's, it sucks when, when the level, and you've probably experienced this even if you're really good at games, it sucks when the level, the, the expectation gets too high, the standard's too high, and so you kind of have to give up. I wonder if, if that's actually been your experience um, in life, in obeying God, if that's kind of the thing that's led you to Christ, is you, you've gone through this experience of you've seen really clearly the expectation that God sets for you, what, what he requires of us, right, which is perfection, and you see that you just can't do it. There's just no way you can meet that standard, that expectation, and, and so you, you give up. You, you give up trying to do it on your own. You, you, you turn, you trust in Jesus, and, and it feels like maybe at that moment that you're out of the game. You don't have to worry about expectations. You don't have to worry about meeting God's perfect standard. Or do you? That's what I want to consider with us this morning. What is the expectation for righteousness, for goodness, for, for perfection? What's, what's the expectation of, of, of righteousness for the citizens of the kingdom? For all of us who have realized that we couldn't get to God by doing good things, how good or, or how righteous does, does God expect us to be? Does Jesus call us to be? And I want to say, if you're here and you're not yet a citizen of the kingdom, um, what I hope this morning will be is like a, a peek behind the curtain to see what Christian life is like, what it is to live as a citizen of the kingdom, what, what would be expected of you if you were to put your trust in Jesus? What would come next for you? And so if you're thinking about whether that you want to do that, um, I hope this is a helpful insight for you. But, but the big thing that we need to see first is we actually need to work through those first three, four verses, verse 17 to 20. And the big thing to see in them is Jesus, Jesus is our righteous king. He's our righteous king. Starting verse 17, going to have to do some work with me through these verses. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. See how, notice how the verse starts with, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. He, he says that, do not think, because there was a temptation to think that Jesus had come to abolish the law and the prophets. So it'd be easy to think that Jesus has come to abolish the law and the prophets because the, the law says, if you want to be right with God, if you want to be right in his sight, the way to do that is to meet his standard, his perfect standard. That's what the law says. 
But we saw yesterday, we saw last night, we saw yesterday morning, Jesus says, if you are poor in spirit, then you'll be right with God. If you mourn, then you'll be citizens of the kingdom. Do you see how there might feel like a contradiction there? It seems like Jesus is coming to say the law is not the way. He's come to do away with the need for righteousness. But Jesus wants to make really clear that that's not the case. And you see that in the second half of that verse. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Verse 17, this key bit. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. See, Jesus wants to make really clear. He, he did not come to abolish the law of the prophets. He came to fulfill them. See, the law, it, it sets the standard that we need to meet to meet God, to, to be right with God. It, it sets that standard. But we know no one ever could. No, no one ever could really meet that standard. It, it's perfection. Yet the prophets throughout the Old Testament gave this hope of someday someone would come and meet that standard. Someone would be able to approach God based on the lives they lived. And Jesus, when he turns up, he doesn't turn up and say, nah, they were wrong. That's not the way. But he actually comes to obey the law perfectly, to be the, the one that the prophets spoke of who would actually be able to approach God based on the life that he had lived. See, Jesus came not to abolish the law of the prophets to say, nah, they suck. He actually came to fulfill them, to continue them. Uh, on the last day of, of school one year, I wagged. Wow. Now, I'm not a rebel. I don't, I don't wag. I didn't wag. And so it was a really scary time. Um, my friend, we were some of the only people at school that day, my friend said his parents were out. So I was like, all right, let's, let's go to your house. And so we, we headed to his house. But as you'd expect, parents are out, and so all the doors are locked. So we're, we're trying to work out how to, how to get into his house. But I'm actually really good at breaking into houses. And so it's another fun fact about me. Two fun facts. Um, and so we found his doggy door. He had a little doggy door. And I was, I'm a skinny boy with long arms. So I just slithered my way through the doggy door unlocked the door, walked up the stairs, and his, his mum's home. <laughs> she was not happy to see us. See, friends, that's not Jesus. He, he's not the rebel who's kind of found this doggy door into the kingdom of heaven, into his father's house, some, some back entry that God was unaware of that he left unguarded. Jesus comes through the front door. He enters the kingdom of heaven the way he was meant to, by obeying the law perfectly. He was the only righteous one. And, and fulfilling the expectations of the prophets. And, and that means something for us. You see, um, when we come to Jesus, when we come to entrust ourselves to him, in Jesus we go through the front door too. Jesus actually makes us righteous. That's the second big thing to see. This is key to get because of verse 20. Just to jump down a little bit to verse 20, it says this. It 
For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Friends, we need perfect righteousness to enter the kingdom. Jesus says your, your righteousness needs, needs to surpass that of the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. You need to be more righteous, more holy, more perfect than the most righteous, most holy people of their time, the Pharisees who spent their lives following God. They, they spend their lives trying to keep God's commands. And, and Jesus says, you've got to be better than them to enter the kingdom. Yet Jesus also says in verse 3, right? We saw this yesterday. We need to be like the tax collector. We need to be poor in spirit. And so on one hand, Jesus is saying you need to be perfect to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then on the other side is like, you need to be poor in spirit. You need to realize... you. You're not perfect to enter the kingdom of heaven. How do those two things fit together? How can he say verse 20? And how can he say verse 3? Well, the answer is this. We need Jesus to make us perfect, to give us a righteousness that surpasses the tax collectors, that surpasses the Pharisees and, and the teachers of the law. And he gives that perfection, he gives that righteousness to those who realize they aren't perfect, who are poor in spirit, who rely on him. So imagine your parents buy you this brand new shirt and they go, there's this new white shirt I've given you. You love this white shirt. And so you're really excited to take it to fat. But, but you've just got in a white shirt that cost them $3,000. Let's call it $3,000. And so they've got an expectation. At the end of this week, you're going to bring home this white shirt and it's not going to be covered in mud. It's not going to be moldy. It's not going to be soaking wet. But by day five, you've experienced this fat and it is just covered in mud. It, it, it's soaking wet. It's getting moldy. It's tattered. And you're heading home going, man, things are not going to end well for me. That's $3,000 I do not have that I cannot pay back. But someone offers you their $3,000 shirt, gives it to you, so you can go home and be okay with your, with your parents, with your folks. That, that's what Jesus does for us. He, he actually he gives us his perfect record, his, his white shirt, so that we can enter the kingdom of heaven through the front door too. Have you guys seen the show The Good Place? Season one. Uh, it's just a great show. It's like layers upon layers upon layers. But I don't want to spoil the whole show, so I'll just go season one. Um, season one, she rocks, this lady rocks up into heaven, the good place. Oh, so she thinks. Um, rocks up to heaven. Ah, sorry, I spoiled it. <laughs> and when she's there, she's seeing all these people around her that are just, just act so wonderfully and good. And she, she knows she's, she's not perfect. She knows she's not good. She knows she's a sinner. And so she starts feeling like an intruder, like she doesn't belong there, like she doesn't fit, like she ought not be there. And I reckon, brothers and sisters, we can have that same kind of feeling about being part of this group of people. Um, you can feel like you don't belong as a citizen of the kingdom because of the sin in you, the things that you're aware of that nobody else is aware of. You can feel those things and it can make you feel like an intruder. But the glorious news is, because of what Jesus has done, you do belong. 
Jesus has brought you righteousness. He, he makes you righteous so you belong. But this brings us to the third thing. Jesus still calls us to be righteous. And so jump back with me to verse 19. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So it starts with that word, therefore. Um, and, and therefore, always when you see that, makes you look back to, to see what Jesus has just said. And, and he said, right, we've just talked about this, that he's, he's not come to abolish the law, but to fill them. He, he's talked about who he is. He's the righteous king that's come. And so it says, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches Others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Pause there. Just in the middle. Anyone who, who sets aside one of the least of these commands, and I think it's talking about the commands Jesus is about to give. Anyone who, who thinks even the smallest of these commands can be done away with will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And then you read on, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The person who, who does the commands Jesus is about to give, that person will be called greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Do you notice how both of these people, the one who ignores some of the commands, the one that keeps them all, both of these people are, are in the kingdom of heaven, yet one of them gets called great in the kingdom and the other one gets called the least. Here's a wild thought. It's clear we, we all get into the kingdom. It's clear we all get into the kingdom by trusting in Jesus, but our standing in heaven, it seems from this verse, depends on what you do with Jesus and his commands. Our standing in heaven depends on what we do with Jesus and his commands. Now, it's hard to know what exactly that will look like. What, what does that mean, that we'll have different standings in heaven? What would it mean to be the greatest? What would it mean to be the least? And we'll do some Q&A stuff tonight. And so if that's a question you've got, we can chat about it tonight. But whatever it means to be greater, whatever it means to be less, it's clear that what we do with Jesus and his commands, what, what our righteousness is, matters. It mattered to get into the kingdom. It was necessary for us to make it into the kingdom. And it continues to matter in the kingdom. It's, it's like this is going to work for about 10 of you. But in surfing, uh, surfing events, uh, they have a certain number of people who are in the event because they're in, they've, they've earned it based on their standings. They're, they're really good surfers who are, who are there and they're always going to be there at the events. But they've got these things called wild cards. And the wild cards can just be, the sponsors often can just give them out to people who, who they want to give the, the, spon the wild card spot to. So these people haven't necessarily earned their way. They haven't surfed their way into the event sometimes. They haven't surfed their way into the event, but they still end up in the event. So they haven't earned their way into the event, but just because they have got in, just because they haven't surfed to get in, doesn't mean that once they're in, they won't have to surf. You got in without having to surf, but that doesn't mean you won't have to surf. It doesn't mean surfing won't matter. You're in a surfing event. See, we, we get into the righteous kingdom by our righteous king just giving us righteousness, but now we're in his righteous kingdom 
Friends, righteousness matters. And so here's the game. Here's what we're being called into. Jesus calls us to perfect righteousness. He calls us to be perfectly righteous. At the the end of this chapter, Jesus says, verse 48, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus calls us to perfect righteousness, to be perfect just as our God is perfect. These verses come as a a summary of the bunch of commands that Jesus gives us through the whole chapter 5. We're going to go through these really quickly. Hear these commands as the thing that God wants for you if you're in the kingdom. The things Jesus actually calls you to, that, that Jesus died, he gave you righteousness, but he wants to see these things formed in you. And so starting verse 21, you've heard that it was said, verse 21, look there, You've heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Don't murder. That's what he says. Now, I expect at that point, none of us are stressing. It's pretty straightforward. But Jesus goes on to to kind of give us God's perfect standard beyond that. That gets actually to our very hearts, what we're like. Verse 22, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which is like, um, I'll explain in a second. Raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in the danger of the fire of hell. See, Jesus kind of extends the prohibition, the, the call against murder to our very attitudes towards people. Our feelings of anger towards people. Our feelings of contempt. That's the word raka, to, to have contempt I don't like that person, a feeling of hatred towards them, or even just our feelings of of frustration. I reckon that's what Jesus is capturing with the idea of, you fool, you idiot, that feeling of frustration. Jesus says those attitudes are deserving of judgment. They're, They're out of sync. They don't fit with kingdom people, with citizens of the kingdom. And it's the same in the next section. So it starts easy, verse 27. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. I reckon at this point, no one stresses that hardly any of you are married, and so it's easy enough. Don't, don't commit adultery against your wife or husband. 28, but I, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, Jesus extends the call from outward purity to inward. He says we ought never look at someone lustfully. We ought never think of them sexually. And that means things like imagining them naked or or seeking to see things we shouldn't. And and I think in that he isn't saying you can't see someone as attractive or be attracted to someone, but we ought never sexualize someone we aren't married to. And Jesus wants us to take these things so seriously. Have a look at these next verses. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Those are heavy words, right? If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. If if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Now, I think it's clear he's not calling us to actually do this because uh, Matthew 
wrote this book. He was a sinner just like us. He, he lusted just like us, and he was still able to write this book with his hands. And so it's not literally do these things, but, but it does speak to how seriously speaks to how seriously we are to take these commands. These are not suggestions, not if you've got the time after you've saved. Jesus calls us to perfect righteousness, and he expects us to pursue it. And so, friends, put to death lust. I just want to give you one really practical thought from these verses on, on how you might do that. I think it's, it's wrong to imagine that you could beat lust or, or anger as well. Um, you could get rid of those things by just trying really hard in the moment. When you feel tempted to lust, when you feel tempted um, to just imagine that I can just every time quench that. Now, it is important when you feel tempted to fight it, to fight sins in the moment, to be aware of them. But these verses are talking about how we should respond once we're fallen. Do you notice that? If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If you find yourself falling into sin in a certain way, get proactive, remove that temptation. Don't just leave that thing that tempts you, that causes you to fall, sitting around waiting for another moment when you'll be tempted. So here's, here's some thoughts on that. So if for you it's, it's the... So talking about lust for a moment. If for you it's, it's the internet that, that makes you fall into lust, work out a way to gouge it out. You could buy a... a, a a dumb phone, one that doesn't have the internet, or, or just restrict the internet totally from your phone. Um, get rid of Safari, get a Nokia, get rid of Safari, uh, get rid of the App Store. You might, you might do that, and that's great. You could also just go, oh, the, the times I've fallen into temptation are not just with my phone, but it's my phone when I'm in the house alone. And so being aware of that and going, well, I just won't go on my phone when I'm in the house alone. I'll just... Take that step back. If for you it's the beach, work out a way to get rid of it. And so only go to certain beaches or, or don't go at certain times. You can, you can work out a way to gouge these things out. Work out what is the thing that's making me fall and be proactive. Be, be smart about your battle with sin. Don't just bring all of your passion and energy in the moment of temptation. Bring all your passion and energy all the time. Bring all of yourself into the contest with sin. Work hard to totally get rid of it. Get rid of it at its root. Now, there's, there's heaps more to be said here. Um, and so the guy seminar, if, if you're a guy, that would be great to get along to if you want to keep thinking about those things. But I want to have a look at two more really quickly. Jump down to verse 38. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. So that's kind of a straightforward way of doing justice. What you did to me, I can do to you. Makes sense. But Jesus calls us to do more. But I tell you, read on, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Citizens of the kingdom are to turn the other cheek, to not even resist being hit. Now, I reckon that's a crazy thought. It's the idea of meekness just kind of put to the extreme, to, to take the hit and allow the other. 
Now, you might have questions in this about self-defense. Um, is it always appropriate to do this? Are there times when this isn't a good idea? Um, and I reckon it's worth, for all of these commands that Jesus gives, um, actually doing that work of going, does Jesus really mean this? Is he really saying that? Work, work through those questions. We're going to have a moment in G-teams to, to do that kind of stuff, to look at some of these commands and think about what do they actually mean in some tricky situations. But, but are you seeing, and make sure you don't miss this, the big thing Jesus is giving, we are being called to total perfect righteousness, to be totally perfectly meek, and we had to go to extremes to get there. Again, verse 43, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, just for your information, there isn't a command, that, that's not a command of the Old Testament to hate your enemies. But that was what they were being taught. That's what they were living out. And Jesus comes and says, no, you're aiming too low, verse 44, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We're not only to endure unjust suffering, we are to love those who do it to us. We are to pray for them. We are to want their good. And we are to do that because this is what our God is like. In fact, we are to do all of these things because of what our God is like. Verse 44 says, Remember, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I wonder if you get to the end of that list, and if you have time, read through it, and, and wonder, I wonder if you're feeling, is that just too much? Does it feel too much? Like, you, you really had a, a good shot at RuneScape, you just couldn't do it, and now you're being told to start playing again. Doesn't that kind of seem odd? Aren't we saved from those crushing expectations? Like, we tried to be righteous, God. We couldn't do it. I tried. That's why he sent Jesus. But now he's still calling me to be perfectly righteous. Expectations, when they're too high, can be crushing. Like it's the, the parent who expects an A all the time. Man, that can wear on you. The coach who constantly expects perfection. I have a friend um, who feels this way with God. Um, she sees the commands of God, sees their call to her for perfection, and it, it just terrifies her. It makes her feel unworthy, like she's not good enough and never will be good enough. And so her response to that is, is to lower the expectations. So she doesn't aim for perfection. She aims for, for pretty good. She aims for just a little bit higher than where she's at. She, she aims lower and trusts that will be enough. And maybe that's where you're at as you think of these things. Maybe that's what you think is the right way to, to approach the, this stuff. But I want to reshape the way you think about these things. See, perfection is a high standard. And it, it's a high standard that we will not reach at this side of heaven, which we will constantly fall short of. And it will make us see how unworthy we are. And then it will make us feel broken. It will make us poor in spirit. It will make us mourn. It will make us hunger for righteousness as we aim for this standard and constantly fall short. It will make us exactly the sort of person Jesus looks at, God looks at, and says, that person is blessed. 
That person is a citizen of the kingdom. See, as you aim for perfection, that is the exact thing that is going to make you someone that clings to Jesus, that realizes you're never going to get there on your own, that you need him. And so, brothers and sisters, don't stop aiming for perfection because that's the exact thing that's going to keep you trusting in Jesus. But it's also just a good standard to aim for generally. See, God wants more for you than not too much sin, not, not too broken. God, God wants more from you, for you than just a little bit enslaved. God wants you to be free from sin. He wants you to rid yourself of everything that is holding you back. He, he has bigger things planned for you than mediocrity. But we are like children who are, who are just learning to walk. Uh, I have a year and a half old who's just learning to walk. And it's a tough thing learning to walk. I don't know if you remember it. Trust you don't. It's not easy learning to walk. But we can all agree it's a good thing to walk, right? It's a good thing to do. Brothers and sisters, righteousness is a good thing. But it's a hard thing to get to. And so will we fall short in our Christian life? Yes. Does falling suck? Yes. But brothers and sisters, you don't have to fear falling. You don't have to fear sinning because you have a father who loves you, who, who is like the father who every time the child falls will pick them up. And so, brothers and sisters, don't aim for, don't aim for anything less than perfection. Aim knowing you're going to fall short. You're not going to nail it. But aim knowing that as you fall short, that's just going to remind you how good it is to have a saviour. And aim knowing as you, as you hunger for that righteousness, as you thirst for that righteousness, you will be filled. Now, in this life only in part, but one day fully. And so pursue perfection wholeheartedly because Jesus, our righteous King, He's made you righteous. And he calls you to righteousness. And it is such a good thing to pursue. Let's pray together. Pray that we'd do that. Heavenly Father, we yeah, thank you that you're a God who wants so much for us, who desires so much for us. Lord, we're sorry for our sin, for the ways that we fall short. And we just, God, we feel the pain of it. We feel the way it hurts others. We feel the way it hurts you. And so, God, we give you thanks that you're a God who still loves us, who sent Jesus to make us righteous, to give us righteousness. But, God, we ask that we would not just rest in our standing, but we would pursue righteousness, knowing it is such a good thing that it would drive us to trust in you more and to live a life that you called us to that is good. Please, Lord, give us the strength, the energy, the wisdom um, to work out how to do that well. And we pray that as we break up now and start thinking practically and all those sorts of things, that you'll give us insights, um, but you'll help us trust you in, in it all. And, and God, we 
do also just particularly pray for those amongst us who don't yet know you, that don't yet know the call of you on their lives, that they will see that what you call all of us to is such a good thing. It's something we can never attain, and so we thank you for your grace, but it's something that we long to attain because it is so good, and you are so good. Amen. I really liked Dan's analogy of, um, you know, once you've reached um, the kingdom of heaven or once you've reached the surfing competition, uh, it's not there just to relax and kick back. We sing a lot about being a citizen of heaven as well. And so it's not to say that, okay, you've achieved it, you've crossed the line. It's to say keep on going once you've passed the line, knowing that you are one. Um, I'm guessing that uh, God has put uh, something on your heart on that talk. We've looked a lot at the attitudes uh, that you bring. Um, and how that can be affected by sin as well. So I just want to take 30 seconds to think about one of those things um, and, yeah, reflect on that, be praying that God would be changing that outside of that. Talk to someone during G-teams during the week. But let's just think about that for just a couple of seconds.